0: It's a distinct honor and privilege to uh, to welcome today Josh and Olivia Muse to uh, this fellowship. Josh and Olivia are the founders and directors of Kaleo International, and they're here this week helping with the Leadership School, and uh, maybe eating a few Ralph's Donuts along the way too. So <laughs> <laughs> welcome guys, come on up. Thank you. Thank
1: you. I didn't know Don was gonna going to admit that we're like five pounds heavier since we got here. Uh, (laughs) They have been feeding us more than we need and I blame you for the shrimp boil that we ate last night (laughs) before we ate Ralph's donuts but um, it's good to be here. We enjoy being in Tennessee and getting to see everybody and fellowshipping with this family. We enjoyed worship this morning. I have to say that we live in Mexico as most of you know and it's special for me when I get to sing worship in English. Our worship services are amazing, but there's something about connecting with your own heart language with the Lord. So I really enjoyed that. We just wanted to greet you this morning and say we're so happy to be here and and to say thank you for partnering with the Leadership School and helping with it and that all of you are such a support and you just jump in and we can feel that you're excited about it and you're wanting to participate in it and that We've been in different churches where sometimes when there's something extra, it's viewed as a burden, but that you guys see it as an opportunity, and we just want to say thank you for that. And also, I just wanted to give a quick update on Reynosa, that the Refugee Center is just moving along at an incredible pace. We want to say thank you for sowing into that as well. Between you guys and other CLEO congregations and organizations, the Lord has just grown this thing exponentially. We started in December, opened in April. How can you build a facility that fast? We've got five dormitories, a couple of apartments, a kitchen. Just this past week, we broke ground on the dining hall. It's being built as we speak. And we have, what, several hundred Haitians? Two
0: or three hundred.
1: Living there right now. And, and they're safe. They're off the streets. They have a safe place to sleep. They get meals every day. And the most important thing is we have Bible study and life group every day. So they're hearing the word of the Lord. We're having prayer meetings, deliverances, amazing things are happening. They're encountering the Lord. We've had several baptized. And so thank you for partnering with that.
0: I don't need this, but yes, I just want to echo those words. Thank you so much. It's so good to be back. I, I think it's been almost a year. It's been a, it's been a little bit since we've been here. Things it it just feels like it's just flown by so fast, and uh, it's been an amazing time. What we're seeing the Lord do right now all over the world is just incredible. Uh, just came back from South Sudan. Don and I went to to South Sudan, and uh, we were seeing the Lord just we're seeing the Lord do amazing things. It was. Challenging would be the right word. It's a challenging environment, but we're seeing the Lord uh, opening doors. We just got our registration for the church for Kaleo as a, as an organization within South Sudan. We couldn't we couldn't do anything unless we had that. And so we just got that like about a week ago. We officially Kaleo is a registered church organization now in South Sudan. And so it's amazing. That's one of the largest concentrations of unreached people groups in, if you combine North Sudan and South Sudan, they're entire uh, small people groups, some of them 100,000, some of them, you know, 50,000 people groups, uh, member people groups that speak um, their own dialect, their own language, and they're in very remote places. We couldn't get to some of the places we wanted to because there were no roads, and it was three days hiking to get there. From the dirt runway that we had to get to in a Russian cargo plane in the back, like sitting on sugar bags in the back of a Russian cargo plane, got us to the closest dirt air, airstrip, and it was three days more walking. We couldn't even get there because the military stopped us and wouldn't let us. They, they said, You can minister in the refugee camps, but you can't keep going. But we've, by God's grace, we've got a strategy. We're opening up new churches in different places. So we'll get more, more about that later. But let's pray for a minute, let's get into the word. God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you, Father, for your presence among us. We give you the honor and the glory and the praise today. We just lift up your name on high in this place, from this house today. We lift up your name, Jesus. And we say Jesus is the name that is above all other names. And we focus our eyes on you, Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And we say, come, come and have your way among us today, Lord. In Jesus' name, whoa, amen. Who, before I forget, if you haven't picked, I was able to finish a book this year in January, published a book. If you haven't picked up uh, Called by the Fire, we have some out in the, the lobby, encourage you to pick one of those up. If people ask you what this kaleo, this Greek, Thing, this Greek word, what does it mean? What's the, well, this, this might help a little bit and understand some of the backstory of the things we've seen God do over the years. So I wanna share with you today about what it means to walk by faith and the faith we need to fight giants. The faith we need to fight the giants and face the giants in our lives. And I was meditating on the story of the spies that were sent into, into Israel um, into the Canaan land before uh, Israel had had uh, had, uh, um, had conquered the uh, had conquered the promised land. They uh, Joshua sent in, or sorry, Moses sent in spies. One of them was Joshua, one was Caleb, and they were sent in. There were a number of spies that were sent in, and they were told to go spy out the land. So I want us to read this passage, and then we're going to go and to see what the Lord will say. The Book of Numbers thirteen. 27 through 33 this is the the spies returning and this is the report they gave and they told him and they said we came into the land that you sent us to and surely it flowed with milk and honey and and this is the fruit of it nevertheless the people that are, are that dwell in that land are strong and the cities are walled and they are very great moreover we saw the children of anak there the Amalekites Am- uh, dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites and the Jebsites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell along the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and he said, let us go up at once and possess it for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went with him said, we will not be able to go against these people for they are stronger than us. They brought out an evil report of the land which had been which they had searched Unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search though we have gone to search in it, it is a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people we saw in it are men of great stature, and we saw giants, the son of An- sons of Anak, who were there, and they come which come as giants, and we were in our own sight like grasshoppers, as we as so we are in their sight. So I want us to think about this report for a minute. Let's think about the context of this. Moses sends the spies into a land that God had promised them. It wasn't just a good idea. It wasn't just a theory. It wasn't uh, just, just a good, seemed like a good real estate investment. It was land that God had promised multiple times to this people group, to the Jewish people, said, this is your land. I'm sending you in. They spent a season in Egypt in, in, in slavery, and they were brought out of Egypt and brought into the desert. And there in the desert, they were on the very edge of taking the land that God had for them. And in that place, the spies that went into that land came back with two different reports. It's interesting, it was the same report. Caleb and Joshua, they were not blind to the fact that there were giants. But what they took away from the report was two very different things. So they were sent in to take to go and see the land. And they both saw and gave an accurate report that there were giants. There's, there's this going on, there's this situation, there's this situation. But only Joshua and Caleb saw the land through the eyes of faith. The rest of the people saw the land and although the report they brought back was factually accurate, it was not a report that was came from a place of faith. If you have, when you look at your community, when you look at the people around you, when you look at your nation, when you look at the world today, There's a lot of people that report the news, but they don't report the reality. Does that make sense? It's easy, it's possible, and it's easy to look at our community and see the news and report the news. There's a lot of Christians that report the news, but they don't see the reality. The reality is what God desires to do among those people. The other spies, they saw giants. They said, there are giants. There are people that that hate us. There are people that have possessed this land. They're strong, they're numerous, they're greater than us, they're, they're stronger than us, they're bigger than us. We look like grasshoppers. Interesting it says, we looked like grasshoppers in their sight, and in our own eyes. How you view the giants in your life oftentimes will directly affect how you view yourself. It's oftentimes easy to look and compare yourself to others or compare yourself to the magnitude of the problem that you may be facing, and because you compare yourself and your resources and what you can do, and you look at that and you say, I just look like a grasshopper compared to the situation that I'm facing right now. But I want to tell you, if we will learn to look at the giants in our life, at the crisis in our lives, the crisis that exists in our community, through the eyes of faith, through the eyes of the Holy Spirit, we will begin to see in the middle of a land filled with giants, a land filled with opportunity and potential for the kingdom of God. Don and I, we were traveling back from Kenya um, in November. And uh, we, were, we were traveling back and everything was, it had been a great trip. We had the graduation from the Bible College, had a wonderful time. And we were coming back uh, to, to Mexico, or I, I was coming back to Mexico. Don was going to, coming back here to Tennessee. And we were in the airport in Frankfurt. And he'd been reading a book on Azusa Street, the Azusa Street Revival. And I think he, he's probably preached a message on Kairos moments, right? Uh, I'm not going to preach that message again. I, I think Don's already preached that one. But we were coming back, and we were just sitting in the airport in Frankfurt, and he just starts telling me a story from the book he was reading about Azusa Street that William Seymour had been fired from the first church he went to pastor in, uh, in California. I didn't know that part. I, I thought he just went straight out there and revival started. But actually he went. he pastored a church in California and he preached his first message and got fired the same day. When he came back, you know, William Seymour, the man that God used to start the Azusa Street revival, preaches his first message on the baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire, which apparently did not sit well with the powers that be within that church. And that afternoon they changed all the locks and without telling him, he comes back and his key won't work for the church. And so we're just sitting there, and I just could not get this thought out of my head. Whatever happened to the church that fired him? Whatever happened to the church that could have had the revival, but literally they fired the revival? They they closed the door, quite literally, to the revival. What happened to that church? And I just couldn't, I I thought was just going through my head, and Don said something that impacted me. He said, talk about missing a Kairos moment. And I couldn't get that out of my head. I just kept contemplating that all the flight back. I was coming back, uh, flying into Dallas. I couldn't get that out of my head. And I just began to pray, Lord, don't let us miss a Kairos moment. Because oftentimes, what I've learned is that a, a Kairos moment, meaning an opportunity ordained by God, that is an opportunity that is outside of the limitations of our normal uh, day daily life, and it oftentimes destroys our plans, messes up our agendas, that's when God invades in a season, in a moment, and things become possible that would have, been, would have taken years or would be, would be impossible otherwise. And I kept saying, Lord, I don't want to be like the church that fired William Seymour. Lord, help us help us as Kaleo, help us as a movement not ever to miss what you're doing because what you're doing is, comes wrapped in a package we're not expecting it to be. You know, they fired William Seymour because he didn't come the way they, he didn't behave the way they thought he should. He didn't say what they thought he should say. You know, sometimes the Holy Spirit comes in among us like that. Sometimes a divine opportunity of the Lord will come and it will come in a place that has been possessed by giants. Israel had an opportunity. They had a divine opportunity right to go into that land they were being commissioned and sent out and God God had told them this is your land go take it but when they came to the land they saw that the land had already been possessed by squatters people that held no legal right to that land because God had not given it to those people and their time because of their wickedness of the wickedness of those people groups their time was up and God was giving that to the the people of Israel But they stood and they saw instead of the land of promise, they saw a land filled with giants, a land full of chaos. If we don't have faith that comes from God, it's easy to look around at the world today and think we are in a land filled with giants. What can I do? I look like a grasshopper compared to these giants of drug addiction. I look like a grasshopper compared to the giants of whatever it may be, liberalism and chaos and the confusion that has engulfed our society today, we look at those things and we think, wow, these giants, it's too big. But God says, are you willing to look past the giants in your culture, in your place, and look and see the land that I am calling you to possess? That's what it means to walk by faith. That's what it means to live by faith. So as I'm coming back, I'm landing in Mexico, and, or landing in McAllen, and my wife comes and picks me up, and she's just giving me the, the information of what's been going on. And she tells me, yeah, the re- migrant crisis has gotten out of hand. There are, there are people everywhere. There's just, there's like three or 4,000, I think at that point it was like 5,000 people that were homeless, living in the streets. I and mean, you can picture Reynosa was, is not particularly a multicultural sort of place, I mean, we bring the multiculture when we're when we're there. Uh, I always joke that our church is a very it's a very diverse congregation. If I'm there, because otherwise it's pretty much just all people from Mexico. Even our Texas church is that way. It's a it's we we are a diverse multicultural congregation. If the pastor is there, if not, it's pretty much all people from there. So we have it's not a very multicultural place. And if you can imagine thousands of people from other cultures just showing up that had no money that were showing up and literally just camping and invading the plaza. You couldn't walk down the sidewalks in the plazas because thousands of people from Guatemala, from Honduras, from Nicaragua, from Africa, from different African nations, from Haiti, are showing up with different cultures speaking other language. And the people were, I mean, the local people were freaking out. They're like, what do we do? Because in the past, people had always gone through, gone to the U.S. border. They could have asylum, but... For the last couple of years, that hasn't been the case, and they're being sent back. So now there's thousands of people. The refugee centers were filled. There was no space. Uh, And so my wife came to me, and she's like, you know, it's been insane, but, you know, the Lord spoke to me. We've been going and taking food to Cinda De Vida, which is a Christian refugee center. We've been taking food to them. We've been going and helping and doing things. I kept hearing this voice in the back of my spirit. It was the Holy Spirit. And he kept saying, don't miss the Kairos moment. Don't miss the Kairos moment. Don't miss. I'm paying attention. I'm like, okay, God, what are we doing? So we get to, next morning I have staff meeting with all of our team and our pastors and leaders were together, life group leaders. And we, I just shared about the fact that God was calling us not to miss a Kairos moment of the Lord. And sometimes the Kairos moments of the Lord would come dressed as a crisis that required faith to be able to look beyond the giants and see the land we were called to possess. I preached that the Holy Ghost fell. We were supposed to be a, it was a life group, it was supposed to be a 15 or 20 minute little devotional. Three hours later, we're picking ourselves up off the floor. We're just, all of us, everyone just wrecked and we were crying out, everyone crying out, God, don't let us miss the divine moment of the Lord. Don't let us miss the moment of our visitation. What Jesus said when he wept over Jerusalem, he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times would I have drawn you in like a mother hen draws in their babies, but you missed the moment of your visitation. This and this and this and this will happen. I said, God, we don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss it. What is it? You ever had a moment in your life like that where you know something's about to happen, but you really have no idea what, and you're just like, God, please don't let me mess it up. Because I I know my capacity to mess things up, and I don't want to I don't want to get in my way or the way of a Kairos moment. Anyone else like that? So I'm going, I'm saying, God, what do we do? And they had been going to the refugee center. Um, they'd been going every, every week and taking food and just ministering to the people that were inside this Christian uh, refugee center. So we go into this place. And we're going along uh, tent by tent. This p- facility has space for 500, 500 to 600 max. Uh, and they had, they had like around 1,200 people living there at the time uh, in tents. Every square meter of that place was filled with tents, just tents, people in tents, people sleeping on the floor. And those were the lucky ones, because the ones that were on the street, there were mothers, single mothers that didn't, they, they, their, their spouse was either back in their home country or in the United States They were sleeping with their babies out on the street, and just horrible situations. And we come in, and we go along, and we come to this one lady. And she is in a tent, she's sitting in front of her tent on a bucket, and just absolutely deadpan sort of face, no expression, just looks incredibly sad. And we just come up to her, and the Lord, in a moment, as soon as I lay my hand on her shoulder, the Lord shows me everything that had happened to her. Because when people come from their countries, and they make that journey, some of them on foot, takes some months sometimes to walk all that direction, or they ride on the trains, um, the women the women get birth control shots before they leave because they know they're going to be raped along the way. Um, and so all these horrible things, child abuse, many things happen, kidnappings. And I looked at her and I just, the Lord showed me in a moment everything she'd been through. And I'm like, what do I do with this? It's a horrible thing. And the Lord said, say it to her. Not the kind of personal prophecy you love to give, you know? But I looked at her and I said, the Lord says he's healing you The Lord says that he was there, and it's by his grace that you were not, you didn't die when they took you, and they raped you, and they kidnapped you. It's by his grace that you're alive, and it's by his grace, and the Lord is healing you from the memories of when you were raped. And the Lord is healing you from the memories of the things you've seen and the things you've walked through. When you were left for dead, and when they took all of your money, and they threw you out alongside, and then giving that, she just broke down weeping. I thought, oh, God, it's a horrible thing to have to say. And she looks at me and she's weeping and she says, everything you said is true. Everything, it's all happened. And she said, I thought after all of this that God forgot me. And that God didn't, had, I, I got lost in the jungle somewhere and that God didn't even remember that I was here. And she said, now here I am sitting here with all these people all around and you come here that don't know anything about me and you tell me everything that has happened to me I know now that God is real and that God has not forgotten me. God loves me. It was beautiful. She wept. She gave her life back to the Lord. It was wonderful. Walked away from there. But I'll be honest with you. I was pretty messed up. I was, my heart was hurting. And I walked away from that going, oh God, oh God, we cannot, I can't sleep in a nice bed at night knowing that there's. Women being being raped in our city, and children that are, don't have a safe place to go, and there's kid, extorting and kidnapping people that are so poor that they're fleeing from their own country. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm as politically conservative as it gets. So it's not—I'm not. This isn't a political issue, but it's an issue of what do you do when the nations? We pray for the nations, but what do we do when they show up at our door? What do we do when when people from other nationalities, when the foreigners among us? are there and they're desperate, they're hungry, they need help, they need love, they need the love of Jesus, and they show up among you, it looks a little like a giant in the moment, especially when there are three or four thousand of them. And I'm telling you, you look at it and you see the crisis, you see the magnitude of all the confusion and chaos, even on a governmental level, and it's easy to look at that and watch the news and go, oh Lord, it's a giant, what can I do? But I walked away from that and suddenly... It wasn't a giant anymore. It was the one person sitting in front of me that needed help. And so I went to the pastor that ran the place. And I went with Olivia and I were there and I'm just messed up. I couldn't think and I just couldn't get this thought out of my mind. Don't miss your Kairos moment. And so I talked to the pastor. I said, I said we got to do something. And he looked at me. He's just exhausted. He'd been running. He'd been running this hard for years. He's, he's been in the middle of every major immigration crisis. He's been helping people and feeding thousands, helping many people, amazing man of God. And I looked at him, I said, we have to do something. And he said, brother, he said, I have no idea what to do. He said, I've got 500 people outside this that come here every day begging, families with little children that are saying, we need a place to go. Do you have any, place, any room for us? He said, I can't take them. There's no space. I looked at my wife <laughs> and I looked at her and I was like, Kind of said in her breath, you know what I'm about to do, right? <laughs> and she just kind of does that. And I said, we'll take them. I didn't know where I was going to put 500 people. I didn't know. We didn't, we didn't know. We, we always say yes and then figure it out later. So we always joke that it's, sometimes it's, uh, and you know, there's, it's ready, aim, fire normally. Sometimes it's ready, fire, aim. You know, sometimes that's how you have to do it in the middle of a rapidly changing situation. And so there in the middle of this, I just said, we'll take them. He looked at me. He's like, you'll take them? I said, yeah. I said, he said, where are you going to put everybody? And I I said, I have no idea. Give me a few days to figure it out. And I said, I've got, we have have a big tent (laughs) and we have the dormitories for the school, but we're about to do a school in a month. And I don't think, I think that might be a little bit of a challenge if we fill it full of refugees and then try to do a mission school. So God, what do we do? And we began to, and all of a sudden, within the next few days, I'm in the office of the mayor and the different government leaders and meeting with uh, people from the UN and from other organizations. And and I take them and show them the properties. I'm saying, we have this place, we have this place. And then I remembered, I had this piece of land, I had this piece of land that I, was a, I bought years ago from a, a guy that was in the import-export business. Let's put it that way. He's a believer now, loves Jesus, but... Um, he used to be in the business of moving a lot of things across the border, and he had property that uh, was near the garbage dump that he had he had sold to us very cheap, like five thousand dollars, let us pay it out over as long as we needed. And he, I just finished paying it, and uh, we just it took us like five years to get the title because, as you can imagine, his paperwork wasn't impeccable, and uh, took us a while to get the title and everything. But we got the title for the property. And we had this place, but, but the city had always told us you can never build there because it was a place that flooded like 40 years ago. It's not flooded since, but there had, there had been a flood and it just got zoned that way. And the city, I tried for years to get permits to build anything out there. Couldn't get permits, couldn't get a permit. The next thing I know, I'm standing outside, you know, I've got this place. And I was in the office, and I told the mayor, I said, We have this place, but I've never gotten permits. He's like, It's done the guy wanted wanted these 5,000 migrants off his of streets he said you can start construction today it's done you have the permission build and then I'm like awesome we're gonna build we're gonna do it here we don't have any money <laughs> we just finished paying off our you know the other facility where the big tent is where we have our international conferences we've just been paying another ministry at Had loaned the money and we'd paid them off over a year. We just got finished paying that. We'd paid our last amount. We didn't have, we had nothing. I'm like, all right, we're going to do it. I don't know how. See, sometimes you look and you see the giant in front of you, and that giant, you begin to assess all the things you don't have. Don't have money. We don't have the time. We don't have the resources. I remember. Coming in here with, with, uh, with Don and with Fred, uh, with Fred, coming into Fred's with Don and Craig to come in when this was an old Fred's and everybody and people looking and saying, we can do this. I want to tell you, maybe there, there are some people I'm sure that looked at this and saw a giant and I think most of those people that saw the giant aren't probably here anymore. But there are others that looked and said, yeah, this is a giant, but it's something we can take. By the power of God, we can take this. What are the giants in your life? What are the giants in the, in the life of this congregation, of this church? Maybe we look at and say, oh, we don't have enough. We can't do this because of this. We don't have enough manpower. We don't have enough resources. We look like grasshoppers in their sight. So I was standing there on that land, took some people out from a couple of organizations. <laughs> None of them were Christian. They were all non-believers, but they wanted to help, in different NGOs, and we're standing on this, this property, and I said, you know, I have this property, and they're like, well, how much do you have to build? I'm like, counting, well, you know, what's in my pocket right now? <laughs> we don't have anything designated for this, and one of, the, one of the organization's lady was not a believer, is not a believer yet, yet, yeah, she will be soon. God just surrounded her with, with all these pastors now, and she's like, she said, how much do you need for the wall? I said, we need this much for the wall. She said, I'll have a check. I'm assistant. bring you a check tomorrow. That day, the next day, we started the construction for the wall. So then we had a wall, We had the money for the wall. We're like, okay, we don't have money for the next, next phase. Another organization, another organization that, was, that is, was founded by a Muslim refugee from Iran that, is, uh, that heard about what we were doing, gave us $30,000 and said, I want you to help these people. I've never met the lady to this day but there her, she was a, a refugee from Iran. Her father fled the Iranian revolution and she has an organization helping refugees. Muslim lady said, I'm gonna give you guys $30,000 for the next face. And then other people, the people we've never met, people we've still not ever met, have supported, and then Kaleo churches and other partner churches have stood up and said, we're gonna help with this. You guys helped and others helped and different ones. And within three, three or four months, we had a facility we were able to take people in. And we were ready to open, and the people I had selected to be the directors quit. About a week or so, but two weeks before we're, well, a week before we're supposed to open, two weeks before I leave for South Sudan. We had a a beautiful center, people ready to to run it, and then the people decide that that was not what they wanted to do. I want to tell you, there's sometimes moments in your life where you get out and you're like, yeah, by faith, we're going to do this, and you get in the middle of it, and you look around and go, oh, wow. Where did everybody go? You It happened in Peter's life. You look at the life of Peter. When, he, when Jesus called him out on the water, Jesus sent him into a storm. Jesus sent them into the storm, and as they were in the storm, Jesus comes walking on the water by them, walking by faith, walking supernaturally, above that which is natural. That's what it means to walk by faith. Jesus walked above the natural, meaning he walked on the water, and there he was walking through the storm, He Was with them in the storm, but they didn't recognize him. They thought he was a ghost. They cried out and they said, It's a ghost. It's amazing. We're so quick to attribute anything supernatural to something demonic. They thought it was a ghost. And then Jesus said, It's me. Peter was the only one that said, If it's you, Lord, call me out and I'll come to you. Jesus calls him out and Peter steps on the boat, or steps out of the boat and under the water. There he is. And He's walking toward Jesus and everything's going good. Then he looks around and he goes, in my opinion, he goes, what on earth have I done? What have I gotten myself into because the winds and the waves are around? How am I going to accomplish this? How am I going to do this? There's different, come on, uh, there's different phases. Oftentimes of taking a land, of taking a hold of a promise from God. First phase is when you go in and you, you recognize and you see the magnitude of what's in front of you, what you can see, and you see the giants. And you have to honestly assess but through the eyes of faith and say this is something that is impossible, but with God all things are possible. But then you actually have to get into the land, get out of the boat, whatever analogy from the scriptures you want to use. You got to get out of the land, got to in, get into the land, get out of the boat, and all of a sudden you find yourself in the promised land, and you actually come toe-to-toe with the giants. You come face-to-face with the giants. You're standing there and all of a sudden you find, like Peter, that you're out on the water and there's no safety net anymore. And in that moment, it's easy to look around and go, what have I done? What have I done? What did I get myself into? I say that a lot. That's my prayer oftentimes. Before the Lord, I'll be doing something. We'll go and then get into the middle of it and we're like, oh, Lord, what did we just get ourselves into? So about a week before we were supposed to open this refugee center, we didn't, we didn't have anybody to run it. And no one in our, in our team that we had at the moment was, was ready to run something like that. And we're like, God, what are we going to do? We, have, we now have a facility. We, we didn't have a facility. Now we have a facility. There's people. There's a need. But we have nobody that can run this. It has to be someone that's, that has to at least speak two languages, has to at least speak English and Spanish, because you have to deal with people uh, either from the U.S., and all the different nations. And we're like, God, who can run it? And the Lord dropped it in our spirits, and we knew exactly who we needed to ask. And she didn't work for Kaleo at the time. Now she does. She's a missionary with Kaleo. We went and spoke to her, and we just said, just consider this possibility. Next day, she comes, and she says, I'm in. She was exactly the person that needed to run her. name is Pauline. She's a, some of you that have done the mission school, or leader school, would, would remember her. Uh, been a missionary for many years, speaks Spanish and English fluently. And now God has put her in, ran an orphanage, so now she like is perfect for being able to handle a ministry that's primarily to for single for mothers and their children. That happened a week before we opened. We didn't know how. We didn't know who was going to run this place until just a, about three or four days before we opened the door. Walking by faith sometimes looks like taking a step and trusting that the pathway is gonna rise up to meet you and that you're going to have a place to land once you step. What is God leading you to do? What is God leading you? What are the giants that you're facing in your community? What are the giants that you're facing uh, in this church right here, right now? And I wanna continue for just a minute more on this. Talks about, showed the difference between Caleb and the other, the other spies. But in Numbers 14, it's one chapter over, the Lord speaks, and he says, Surely they will not see the land which I swore unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land where where, where he went, and his and he, he and his seed shall possess it. It's a very interesting way that the Lord phrases this. Because basically the Lord's wrath burns against the people of Israel. He says, you're going to have to walk another 40 years in the desert. I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't want to spend another 40 years. I, don't wanna, I haven't lived 40 years yet, but I wouldn't want to spend 40 years in the desert. God gives us opportunities to choose whether to remain in the deserts of our life or to cross over and possess the land that he's inviting us into. And the rest of the spies... They made the Lord angry because although they were factual, they did not view the land with faith. And they didn't view the crisis, the situation, even the giants through the eyes of faith. But what he says of Caleb is this, but Caleb had another spirit. What was the spirit that Caleb had with him? Spirit of God. Caleb had the Holy Spirit with him. And the Holy Spirit that was within Caleb gave Caleb the ability to, to really live as a man outside of his time, to live as, as a man outside of his season, because Caleb actually walked in faith that was new covenant faith, but in the old covenant time. All the saints of the Old Testament, if you read the book of Hebrews, it, talks, it commends the saints of the Old Testament because they lived with a faith that was ahead of their time. The people, the rest of the Israelites, they they lived according to the culture, they lived according to the laws and the the faith of the time. They recognized there's giants, there's this, there's this. Caleb, however, had another spirit. He lived by a different faith. He lived because he could see something they could not see. And the spirit he had with him was the spirit of God. And the spirit of God put within, within him the faith to rise up And with a spirit of prophecy say we can take this land. We can take this land even though there are giants. What they're saying is true. Even though yeah, okay you can call it hard ground. You can say Sweden's hard ground. You can say the United States is hard ground. You can say this place is hard ground. Okay maybe there's a little truth in it. But we can take it. You can say that rural United States Southern culture is can be religious, can be this, can be this. Okay, maybe it can, but we can take it. You can say a lot of things. You can say America is post-Christian. And we as the church, we can look at this giant in front of us of atheism and agnostic mentalities and just absolute hatred toward the things of God that we see in our culture. And it's okay to honestly assess it and go, This is insane, but we can take it. Our culture is losing its mind, but we can take it with the gospel. Because of what? Because we have with us another spirit. The spirit of God. We have faith in God, in Christ. But I want to tell you, the Bible also says that that the faith of Jesus is in us. Paul said this. He said, The life I now live, I live by the faith, and I think the King James Version says it best, the faith of the Son of God. Some translations, some versions say the faith in the Son of God. But I believe that the most accurate translation is of. Because it says this, it says, The life I now live, I live by a supernatural faith that is greater than my own faith. It's greater than my own capacity. What made Caleb different from the others? Caleb had another spirit within him had another spirit within him that the others did not possess because it was the Holy Spirit of God who was within him and spoke and said, you can take the land. Don't miss your kairos moment. Don't miss it. Don't miss your opportunity. You and I, we have within us another spirit than the spirit that this world has. The world may look at our our culture, may look at our society, may look at the situations around us, and they may be factual in their analysis but they may not be seeing with the eyes of faith. You and I, however, have a different spirit. And God spoke about Caleb, and he said But Caleb has a different spirit than the others. And for that reason, Caleb isn't going to die in the desert like the others. Caleb is going to be one who is going to go, and he will take that land. I am going to give Caleb that land, not just to him, but to his seed. The rest of the spies, they died in the desert. Caleb, however... He was just too stubborn in his trust of the Lord to die in the deserts. And think about Caleb. I and mean, Caleb is now in his 80s. And he's going along, he's still strong and fit. And he's the one old guy, him and Joshua, the only old, older guys among this nation where the old, all the older generation that didn't have faith had died off. And yet here was Caleb in the middle of them, still strong and active, and then Joshua, when he's divvying up the promised land and saying, you know, what, what land do you want? What land do you want? He calls Caleb. And he says, Caleb, what, what land do you want? I'll give you any place. You're an old man now. What do you want? And I can picture Caleb going, give me the giants. I want another crack at those people that kept me walking around in the desert for the last 40 years. And also, I think he knew that it took a man with experience and took a man who'd faced giants before bring down giants again and J- Caleb knew that he had been anointed by the Spirit of God to take down those giants. What I love about the church is that the church is full of young men, older men, young women, older women and we are called to run this race together. I've talked to a lot of, I've had people come into our ministry and one, one uh, well, a number of people have come and said you know, we're, we're, we're getting up there in age, and, you know, we can't do everything we used to could do, uh, but is there any place in the mission field for people that have some gray hairs on their head and maybe can't run and work like we used to? I'm like, are you kidding me? There absolutely is. Why? Because we have a lot of youth and enthusiasm on the mission field. We've got a lot of young people that are excited, but we need some Caleb's with wisdom and maturity. There's an anointing, the spirit that was on Caleb, I believe God wants to put upon us today. And I want to tell you, it is irrespective of your age. You may be looking at your life and going, okay, you know, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little older. Or you may be looking at your life and saying, well, I'm too young. There's a spirit of God that he wants to put upon you that will give you the boldness to face down the giants And it will give you the strength to go and possess the land and give you the faith to see things as they really are. Not not just simply the reality, but see the reality of heaven. Because when we begin to see the reality of heaven, it shifts things. It changes things. We have to press in for vision. We can never let go of what God has told us to do. We can never get distracted from keeping our face fixed on Jesus. Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, uh, verse 1 through 3 says, now, or just verse 1, now faith is the confidence in what has been hoped for and the assurance of what we do not yet see. I'll continue. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's commands so that what we see was not made out of what was visible. Now You and I need now faith. We need now faith to face the now giants. Because there are are giants, real and present giants, that we're going to have to face down. And it's one thing to see them. It's another thing when you have to fight them. And we, we are called to fight those giants in our culture, in our communities, the giants of addiction, the giants of Broken marriages. The giants of fatherlessness in this culture. All Those those are giants. They're real giants. In our culture here today, the giants of religiosity. It's there. We have to recognize it. It's there. We can't be blind to the fact and oblivious. Everything's great. No, it's not. There are real giants we have to face. But what kind of, how are you going to view the giants in front of you? If you learn to view the giants in front of you with now faith, It gives you the ability to look beyond the problem of the situation in front of you now and see things the way God sees it. To look through the problem, through the situation, and see what God desires to do. And begin to pray like what Jesus prayed on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need to look and recognize the giants we're facing. I want to tell you, there's been so many testimonies. The Refugee Center is just, just one of them. Now we've, we're seeing so many people healed and touched. Last year, the Lord, or the last few years, the Lord has been speaking to me that there are unreached people groups that we as Kaleo, we need to begin to target. We've been targeting, we've been, I've been, we've been part of reaching a number of unreached people groups in the Middle East that there were almost no known believers in, this, in a few of the people groups we were working with. Now there are thousands of believers and now there, the Lord began to speak to us about South Sudan, that he was opening up the door. Place filled with unreached tribes. The Lord began to speak to us about the Coma people group. Another group people group called the J people group. And in Mexico, there's another tribe um, called, the, uh, Wechol, called the Wechol. called the Huichol. All of those tribes, there, there's almost no Christian churches among those people groups. And we began to say, God, give us those people groups. And we begin to pray and we begin to fast and say, God, open up the doors. Open up the doors. And I remember talking with, you know, so many years ago, talking to Craig and to Don about the Appalachian Awakening and the different, the vision and the heart for planting churches in this whole corridor. I just came back from the new church in in Madisonville, Kentucky with Philip, the new Kaleo Church in Madisonville, Kentucky. Saturday, there was an amazing outreach. Think about, these were giants before. And now all of a sudden, we're seeing the land being taken. We had a couple move to Madrid to plant a church. Everyone told us, Spain is hard ground. You're not going to have success in Spain. They've been there a year and a half, two years. Two and a half years. They already have about 30 people. And they've seen, they've seen just many, many people except the Lord there in Madrid have 30 people now in their congregation. In a place that everyone told, told us, missionaries that had been there before said, oh, you'll spend decades and maybe never win, win anyone to Jesus. It looks like a giant. But if we begin to look at the giants and we say, I, I can take that giant. You know, look at the giants and have another spirit within us saying, by the power of Christ in you, you can take this. just had a new church plant, uh, Colby and Taylor, some of you remember them, just launching a new church in Louisiana. New Caleo Church in Louisiana. We had new churches planted in Mexico, in Mexico State. Another church plant in Morelos State. Uh, and new churches being springing up all over the place. We just launched a couple out to a country in the Middle East. They're going to be planting churches in a very strategic country in the Middle East. Another couple has moved to Canada to plant another church up in western Canada in the B.C. area. Don't tell me that the giants are too big. If we, this little group of people, that are spread out all over the world, that's Kaleo, this family of ministries, if we'll begin to look at the giants and say, God, I want the mountain where the giant lives. I want to take it. Give me that land, like Caleb. Begin to look and say, I'll take take the land. Give me the strength, give me the anointing, and I'll do it. We have a company of people like that. I want to tell you, the giants in Appalachia are going to fall. This church is placed strategically strategically for the United States, but also strategically God wants to use this church for reaching other nations. God is using this church to reach other nations. And the way where God has placed you and the vision God has given you for the Appalachian awakening, given us, not you, us, we're together in this. The vision God is giving us for this Appalachian awakening, it'll only happen if everyone truly fixes their eyes on Jesus. Jesus. And let the Spirit of God within them empower them to raise up your hands and volunteer and say, I'll go. No matter what the cost, I'll go. Because I know my God can break down the power of any giant that I may face. There's no giant that you'll face it's too big for God. If you are willing to open your eyes and see with faith, you will see the land be taken. What giants are you facing in your society, in your culture, here today, maybe even in your family? What are the giants in your family? And are you willing to begin to allow the Lord to open your eyes to see with faith? Please stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. And I believe the Lord is inviting people today to say yes to the commissioning of Caleb, to say yes that you're willing. You're willing to, no matter what the cost, you're willing to serve Jesus. And you're willing to take the land and you're willing to allow the Lord to open your vision to see beyond that which you can see. And to see things the way that that heaven sees them. See them through the eyes of Jesus. So I invite you just to stand and just raise up your arms to the Lord. And I want you to repeat after me and let's just say this. Let's make a A declaration of the Lord. Father, today in Jesus' name. We ask you to give us vision. Fresh vision. To take the land. Help us to see the giants. Not through the eyes of fear. But through the eyes of faith. We ask for your anointing on our lives to put your power within us as a congregation to take the land in front of us today. We say yes to the challenge. We say yes to the battle because we know you're leading us in. In Jesus' name, name. I want to invite the worship team if you guys want to come. I really feel like that the Lord is inviting you just to come and make a commitment before Him. And just like Isaiah to say, here am I, send me. Maybe for you, it's into your community. We always talk about that in terms of another nation. It's not necessarily another nation. Sometimes it's just another mountain. Sometimes it's just another part of Tennessee, another part of Kentucky, another part of whatever that place may be. But I believe the Lord is inviting you today to, if you really are willing to answer that call and say, I want to be a Caleb. I want to be a Caleb and I want to see things the way you see them and lay down the, the mentalities of the, other, of the other spies. I feel like there's some people that have been addicted to the news. They've been watching the news and you see the report, but it's not the report that comes from God. And I believe the Lord is inviting us to come and, and lay those other reports at the altar and take out of ourselves everything, every mentality of the other spice. Strip it out, lay it down, throw it on the ground, burn it, let it go. So you can pick up the mentality of Jesus. The mentality that causes you to be able to slay the giants. So if that's you, I just invite you just to come. I want to pray with you. I wanna come, if you wanna come and lay down those old mentalities, this mentality of the other spies, and say, I wanna be a I wanna be a Caleb in this generation. I wanna be a Caleb, I wanna be a, a, a Joshua in this generation.